We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast, Thanksgiving edition. Hopefully, if you are traveling, you can take this show with you. You're listening to the podcast version over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is really that you listen to podcasts. Or if you're watching the YouTube version of this, you're chilling at home or hanging out with some family, eating some turkey, some stuffing, gravy, all the good stuff from my favorite pumpkin pie. Either way, I hope everyone is having a fantastic Thanksgiving. We'll talk a bit of Lakers basketball here. Before I do, though, typically what I would do is I would finish out a show like this by saying what I'm thankful for. But I figured let's let's flip things around. It might be cliche and everything, but I, I want to express my thanks. And it's not necessarily my thanks for, you know, Lakers basketball, or whatever. No, my, my thanks is for all of you, for everybody that's out there that's watching, that's been listening to this show. Um, for those of you guys who know the, the story of kind of how this all started, this has been a labor of love that I started up the LakersNation.com podcast a long, long time ago, and it's become such a great outlet for me. Uh, I, I never anticipated this becoming my career, and, and here we are. And so I just want to thank all of you for, for making that possible and for watching and listening and commenting. It's the, the community that we have built. It, it blows me away every single day. I'm just so incredibly thankful for the ability to get to do this, to get to do what I love. And it's not possible without all of you. So very much appreciate all of you out there watching and listening. All right, enough of the sappy stuff. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about some Lakers basketball, specifically that game against the Phoenix Suns. Um, I was a little bit fired up in the post game about what happened with Patrick Beverly and, uh, and DeAndre Ayton. And I think a lot of the Lakers were, in fact, uh, a lot of their comments have been very supportive of Patrick Beverly. If you listen to some of the things that the Lakers were, were saying, I mean, Patrick, you've got Russell Westbrook, who former enemy of, of Pat Bev saying that he loved it. Uh, Darvin Ham spoke out in, in support. Of, of Pat, so did Anthony Davis. The general consensus is that, hey, we're not going to let anybody do that to us. We're not going to let anybody stand over our teammate. We're going to step up and do something about it. And I still come back to, well, violence is not a good thing. I think this is actually a positive for the Lakers. I think the message that was sent by Patrick Beverly uh, to not necessarily to the Suns, but to the rest of the team that, hey, we have each other's backs. We support each other. We don't let things like this happen. I think that can have a unifying effect 
on a team. And I'm hopeful that's what's going to happen. Now, as I'm recording this, because I had to record this a little bit in advance before I actually have to travel as well for, for Thanksgiving. I don't know yet, as of right now, if Patrick Beverly is suspended, how long that suspension may be, if indeed it, it happens. So unfortunately, I can't really discuss that. But I would have to imagine a, a suspension probably comes. But as Ron Gutterman was talking about a little bit on the, the postgame show, that may actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise because, look, Lakers fans have largely been saying that Patrick Beverly needs to be the guy to lose his starting spot when LeBron comes back. And LeBron is coming back uh, tomorrow, essentially, right? Friday. So LeBron is coming back against the San Antonio Spurs and Lakers fans, myself included, have been saying Pat needs to be the one to lose his starting job, not Austin Reeves, which would would be a shift in what the starting lineup was previously. So LeBron, Austin Reeves, Troy Brown Jr., Lonnie, and then Anthony Davis. That's the starting five most Lakers fans want to see, not Patrick Bradley, who frankly has not been that successful out there on the floor, particularly on the offensive end. So I think this kind of forces Darvin Ham's hand in doing that, and that, that becomes just your de facto starting lineup. And then if you can have success with that starting five, then whenever Pat returns, uh, from again a likely suspension you can just say well this this was working so let's stick with it and let's figure out a role off the bench for pat i i do think that's probably for the best given and it's specifically because austin reeves has developed a lot of chemistry with anthony davis in pick and roll situations and if i'm darvin ham i want to keep that going i want to keep a good thing like that going austin is a very natural instinctive passer and I want to keep him on the floor with that. You know, I don't necessarily love the Alex Caruso comparisons that we hear all the time uh, regarding Austin Reeves. But I could say this, that he is like Caruso in that he plays better with better players on the floor with him. Where Austin is going to thrive when all he has to do are the little things. When he can take advantage of teams focusing on AD, team, take advantage of teams focusing on LeBron, and he can play off of those players, and he can make a big hustle play here. He can operate out of the pick and roll and throw a lob there. Uh, he can get a steal on the defensive end, right? He's He can do those little things that just help you win ball games. And I think his effect is amplified. And he also amplifies the effect of Anthony Davis and LeBron and the top tier guys that he plays with. So it just makes all the sense in the world to me to keep Austin Reeves in the starting lineup, remove Patrick Beverly, and then you figure out your rotation from there as LeBron comes back from his injury. So that's what I think we we will see happen. Um, again, I'm expecting there to be a suspension for Patrick Beverly. But before I leave this topic, let me say this. For There's been a lot of Lakers fans that have been complaining about Patrick Beverly. And look, you see him get into the paint and you can <laughs> understand why. Because he can't get a shot off when he's in the paint. He just can't. Um, everybody plays him to pass because nobody plays him to shoot because they know he doesn't want to shoot and they can't, when he does try to shoot, it's, it's awkward. It's sloppy. He hasn't provided the three point shooting that we were hoping that he would coming into the season. He's done some good things defensively, but let's face it. It's been a disappointment based on what we've seen on the floor from Patrick Beverly. But I've been saying it all along that there are things that Patrick Beverly brings to a team that don't show up immediately on the court or in the box score. And I think we got an example of that with the DeAndre Ayton moment where Pat's that guy that's going to set that tone. And so as much as when we get into trade talks, we talk about trading away Patrick Beverly, this expiring contract, Kendrick Nunn, an expiring contract as well. And I'm not saying you don't do that. But what I am saying is that you don't want to look at Patrick Beverly as only what he brings on the court. Yes, technically he leveled DeAndre Ayton on the court. It happened on the court, but that is 
that was an act that goes outside of playing basketball. That wasn't something Patrick Beverly did that helped the team necessarily on the basketball court, but that's something that helps the team as a unit, that helps the mentality, that helps bring players together, that helps make sure that they are supporting each other. And that can be a major positive for a team. So once again, I'm not saying you don't explore trade opportunities with Patrick Beverly. I just think with a player like him, it's kind of of the line of a, a Rajon Rondo, a Jared Dudley, where you have to keep in mind that some of the benefit isn't going to be hitting you in the face because you see it happening on the floor. Some of the benefit of having Pat on the team is going to take place through other things that don't necessarily involve Pat playing basketball on the court. So again, something to keep in mind. I'm still exploring every trade, just something to consider. And I thought that that moment was a great example of that. Um, Also need to mention Anthony Davis. And look, he shouldn't be an afterthought here in this at all. He's been absolutely phenomenal unbelievable i do have some super chats from our post game show the other night that we're going to get into and we are going to talk a lot about ad but big picture when i look at this team and i look at what ad is doing right now i don't know if this is entirely sustainable i thought that we would see some type of regression from ad against the suns because he's going up against deandre ayton who is a much bigger task than going up against uh the pistons without isaiah stewart the nets without nick claxton for half the game uh, the Spurs without Jakob Pertl, I thought that we were going to see a diminished version of, of AD, still dominant, still an incredible presence, and um, and that was not the case. That was that He was absolutely incredible. And when you're seeing AD play at this level, again, I think you have to question if you're the Lakers, how sustainable is it? But every game that he keeps doing it, you start saying, okay, maybe, maybe the back injury was a huge problem, and Maybe that's healed up now, and this is who he is. Each game that passes that we see this out of AD, I think it becomes more likely that that's the case, that you're going to get a very high-level version out of Anthony Davis. And I think that changes the math for the Lakers so much when we look at the trade front. We look at what are you willing to do in a trade. If you're getting the AD that we saw the first few games of the season, where every, every play he's holding his back, he doesn't look like he can run up and down the floor. It's kind of a, a shuffle. Um, if you're getting that version of, of AD, who looks like you know silver sneakers on the you know walking around at, at the mall or something like that, he's kind of like hunched over and all that. If, if that was the version of AD that you're getting, I can understand why if you're the Lakers front office, you look at you look at this team and you say, Well, do we really want to surrender assets in order to make a move right now? Do we really you know, let's say we go get Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, whoever else it is. Is that, is that going to get us anywhere? If this is what you're going to get out of Anthony Davis, I think that answer, is this going to get us anywhere, switches from a no to a yes. I think when I look at this version of Anthony Davis, it's hard for me to imagine being in that spot, being Rob Palenka, watching what AD is doing, what the absolutely special things that he is doing out on the floor right now and knowing that you're going to have LeBron coming back into the fold and to not do anything to help them. Because again, if you're getting this version of AD, I'm not saying you're a championship contender, but you're a lot closer than you were a few weeks ago. So I think these next few games are going to be important. I think you've got to make a decision if you're the Lakers front office as we get here into Thanksgiving. Remember, this was the initial timeline for the Lakers that we heard was that sometime post-Thanksgiving, they were going to start to take a real look at the trade market. I've said it a bunch. A lot of NBA teams don't start to look to make trades until December 15th, so it could be a bit of a wait. 
just because of that's when, you know, all the free agents start to become uh, trade eligible, all the guys who signed this past summer. But if you're the Lakers front office, I think AD's performance over these past few games and the longer it continues, the more you accept that it's real and the more you come around on the idea of let's give these guys some help and give this a real shot this year and see what we can do. Because I'll tell you what, the Lakers are not one of the best teams in the Western Conference. They're not. But the Suns last night are one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and the Lakers were not far off from beating them. The Lakers essentially got zero contributions from a number of players in terms of scoring the basketball. The Lakers just shot incredibly poorly from the three-point line. If you turn those into just mediocre, you turn this into a 35% three-point shooting night for the Lakers, they're winning this game. Not by a lot, but they're, they're right there. And one game is way too small of a sample size to make any kind of definitive proclamation here or anything. But the more you see of this, the more you feel like, you know what? You look at the West, it's compact. There's a lot of teams that are pretty good, and there's going to be some good teams on the outside looking in. But it's not too late. The Lakers have already lost a lot of games. They're 5-11. That hurts. But it's not too late. There's a lot of basketball to be played. And if this is the AD you're going to get, and if you've got hope that you're going to get a healthy LeBron back as well, I think there's a lot of incentive right now based on what we're seeing out of AD to go get something done and get some pieces to help this team maybe make a little bit of noise. All right. That being said, let me get into some of the super chats coming in from fans. So these are questions and comments coming in from fans after the Lakers loss to the Phoenix Suns. And this is going to springboard us into a lot of different Lakers topics. So here we go. Without further ado. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Johnny says Austin Reeves should handle the rock, not Russell Westbrook in the fourth quarter. So there was a lot of uh, anti Westbrook takes after the game. And I think it came down because I didn't think Russ was necessarily terrible in that, that Suns game. Uh, Russell Westbrook on the night eight for 20 shooting, which isn't ideal. Certainly two of six from three. He's been shooting well from three, three of seven from the free throw line. That hurts in a, in a close game, five assists, only one turnover on the night and 21 points for Russ. So you've got a few things there that, okay, he's probably not going to have a one turnover game very often. He typically turns the ball over more than that. Um, but he's also typically getting 
more than five assists and three rebounds. So overall, I wasn't incredibly disappointed with this performance out of Russ. I think the issue was we saw Russ a couple of times miss at the rim, and these were on big moments. He also got backdoor cut on a play where we talked about this a lot last year, where the mistakes that he made were very loud mistakes. And so while this was not a perfect game for Russell Westbrook, I don't think this was necessarily a game where you just say, that's it. You can't give him the ball ever again. Right. I, I don't think this was that kind of performance, but I understand what you're, what you're saying and that there are more, there's more capable hands or more careful players, mistake-free players that you could potentially turn to if it's an Austin Reeves or someone like that. Whereas Russ, again, couple loud mistakes, driving to the basket, missing at the rim. And then that got the Suns going the other way. That's one of the things I like to talk about a lot on our live stream on playback. When we do our, our live show of every single game, we do our, our Lakers Nation stream, which by the way, if you guys haven't checked out, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's Lakers fans. We all, Lakers Nation, everybody gets together and we all watch the game together. And it's myself and Sean Davis, a few of the other guys will jump on stage and we do the play-by-play -play for the game and we talk through everything. We take questions and comments throughout the whole game and we just kind of enjoy the, the game together. So it's a blast. Um, I put the link in the description down below over on the YouTube channel if you guys do want to check that out. Again, we do it for every single game. So it's a lot of fun. But anyway... I, I talk about on there um, all the time that when you, whenever you miss a layup, just just keep an eye on this. Whenever you miss a layup, it tends to result in one of two things on the other end, a layup slash dunk or an open three, right? You give up one of those. Two. Whenever you miss a layup, you give up one of those two things because what happens is you miss your momentum. Say it's Russ. He attacks the basket. He misses. His momentum carries him out of bounds. And it's a five on four break going the other way. And teams will capitalize on that every single time. So that's where Russ missing shots at the rim can compound the problem because not only is it a missed shot that really is a high percentage shot that you should have made. So you miss out on those points, but you're also putting your opponent in a high probability scoring position on the other end. So it can be a four point swing very easily. Each, each Russ missed layup can really be a four-point swing, even five-point swing, if you're going to give up a three. And we did see the Phoenix Suns capitalize on that too. So I understand the frustration with Russ. But yeah, I'd like to see more ball-handling opportunities for Austin Reeves. But again, I don't look at this game and say, man, if it wasn't for Russell Westbrook, they win this game. I, I just can't look at it that way. Um, I think they needed his scoring in this one, 21 points. And... Yeah, I, I don't think Russ was the difference here. Even in the fourth quarter, I'm not going to fault Darvin Ham for running the ball too much through Russell Westbrook, even if I'll say, yeah, Austin Reeves probably should have got a few more touches. All right. DeGiff said, I love this. I'm happy even though we lost. Okay. I mean, look, I, I get a lot of fans who say there are no such thing as moral victories. You have to win in the end and all that. But I, I tend to agree here. I think there were uh, a lot of positives to take away from this game, even though you do need to get wins on your record. Look, the Lakers without LeBron going into Phoenix, playing the way that they did, and they gave themselves a puncher's chance down the stretch. I'm not going to be too upset with that. Um, again, if it wasn't for a, a poor shooting night from three, this is where this is possibly a fourth win in a row for the Lakers. Uh, Anthem six said, I'm not sure why Darvin Ham keeps playing none and Patrick Beverly. How is he even in the starting lineup? He's an offensive liability. Troy Brown had an off game. I'm okay with him. Yeah, Troy Brown has kind of been in a little bit of a slump, quietly. 
He's been in a bit of a slump for the Lakers the last few games. Uh, why is Darvin Ham playing none and Patrick Beverly? It's because, and this is this is my opinion, it's because Darvin really does see Patrick Beverly as a wing, right? And he's using him in that role with the bench unit as a wing because we look we look at it and we see way too many guards. And I see Patrick Beverly as a guard, but Darvin Ham needs wing players right now. I mean, look, your two main, well, three really guys who are out. It's LeBron, it's Juan Toscano Anderson, who look who hasn't been great. Uh, understand that and max christie who's a rookie and, and all that but still he was getting some minutes there so that's three players that to different degrees you can call a wing right i mean lebron can play three four five max christie can probably play two maybe three um in terms of position and then jta can play three four right so but that's three guys that would be essentially wings for the lakers and you're, you're missing them. And this is already a team that's light on wings. So when you look at why are, are Kendrick Nunn and, and Patrick Beverly sharing the floor, and yet you can probably still stagger things and, and prevent that, but ultimately you wind up forced to use a guard as a wing at some point in your rotation. Because the only wings that you really have, depending on how you see Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker, who kind of wind up getting used as, as wings, but they're really more twos than anything else. Um, with those guys, you really just have Troy Brown and, and that's it, right? Lonnie is 6'4". He's, he's super athletic, but it's not like you've got a bunch of guys who are 6'7", with 6'10", wingspans that can go out there and do all this versatile stuff for you. You just don't. And so that's why we saw quite a bit of Troy Brown winding up having to get slid down a spot and playing power forward in some of these, these rotations. That's why we see... Um, these situations where you have just too many guards on the floor, where it's four guards and one big, which I, I dislike, but you don't have a lot of other options. Now I know there were some concerns about, well, when Gabriel should have got more minutes and I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll, I'll buy that, that you should have probably turned to when Gabriel a bit more to help mitigate those concerns with too many guards on the floor. Um, but just to underscore the Troy Brown jr. Thing. So this is Troy Brown's last five games, last five Troy Brown jr. Zero points against the Suns, 0 for 5 shooting. Two points against the Spurs. Eight points against Detroit. Nine points against the Nets. And then two points against Sacramento. He's had a rough go of things. He's had a rough go. Of those five games, he had two games where he shot above 50%. He was four for seven against the Nets. Three for five against the Pistons. Only played 18 minutes against the Pistons. Was in a bit of foul, foul trouble on that one. But 0 for 5 against the Suns, 1 for 4 against the Spurs, 1 for 6 against the Kings. And then the rebounding numbers haven't been quite what they were previously. And part of that is AD has been such a monster rebounding. I think that's taken away from some of the rebounding opportunities for a guy like, like Troy Brown. But he just hasn't quite had it going there. Um, you look behind the arc, 0 for 2 against the Kings, 0 for 2 against the Spurs, 0 for 3 against the Suns. He was one for two against the Pistons, one for two against Brooklyn. Just the Lakers need him consistently hitting threes, knocking those in. And he's had three games in the last five where he hasn't hit a single three. In fact, only two Lakers hit a three against the, the, the Suns, and that was Russell Westbrook and Lonnie Walker, and that's it. Those are the only guys to hit a three. It's hard to win games like that when you've got an opponent who's getting all of their other guys, right? You look at, at Wainwright and Washington and and campaign and uh, like 
every single other guy on the Suns that wasn't Devin Booker, that wasn't DeAndre Aiden, not one of their main guys, and you could probably put Mikael Bridges into that mix too, all of their other guys hit threes. They all did. And the Lakers got threes out of none of their other guys, right? Depending on how you view Lonnie Walker, whether he's one of the other guys, the role players or not, um, I, I think he's playing his way into a much bigger role. But Lonnie and Russ were the only guys to hit threes. And so it's hard to win games like that. The Lakers need more out of Troy Brown. And so while I understand, um, you know, you're saying Troy Brown had an off game, I think the Lakers need to utilize him as much as possible, but they also need him to get out of this slump. There's whatever this is, this little funk that he's in, he's not quite playing up to the same level. And maybe it has something, there's a correlation between AD's uh, ascent and the decline here from Troy Brown, but they just need him to knock in open threes. That's that's what you need. You need one or two threes per game out of Troy Brown. That's really what the Lakers need on the offensive end of the floor. And more often than not, they're not getting that over the past week and a half or so. All right, Jeremy said, I'm not sure that Pacers trade will still be available. So the buddy healed Miles Turner for Russ and a couple of firsts. High chance another team will swoop in if they keep playing well or the Pacers will just keep them. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of Pacers fans who have saying they'd like to keep Miles Turner, he's playing well. The the tendency when a fan base sees a player play well, they go, oh, well, let's keep this guy. Then let's and then as soon as the player's playing poorly, trade him, get rid of him, right? Because you know, teams love to pay for players that are playing poorly. But in any event, I I don't I still think for the Pacers, and this is really what it has to come down to for every team. It's what do you want to pay Miles Turner next year? And I think we get so wrapped up in what is Miles Turner doing right now? What is Buddy Heald doing right now? And we have to remember that these are, if you're going to give up future draft capital, you're going to give up first rounders. It's not just about that. It's about what do I think this player is going to be a year from now? What do I think they're going to be two years from now? Now, I think I think Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are going to be good. I think they're both younger um, and they're going to be good. And so I don't have any problem with the future of Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, and if you can get them at the right price, please do. Where the Lakers have to be concerned is with Miles Turner playing well right now, what's he getting on his next contract? He's a free agent in the summer. Is he going to be willing to do an extension, or is he playing so well that you can't give him a lucrative enough extension and he's going to hit free agency? If you have any fear that he is going to walk away, if you are hearing anything from his camp that he is not going to commit to being a Laker, then you can't trade for him. If the price is first round picks, you can't. Because if you do and he walks away, you're left with nothing and you're giving up all of your future draft capital in exchange for half a season of Miles Turner. And that is not good. That will not work. The Lakers already dealt with that uh, earlier on, uh, what, 10 years ago now with Dwight Howard. They surrendered assets, and look, obviously things went south with Andrew Bynum, but they surrendered assets in order to get Dwight Howard. He played one season and then walked away. That's one of the most damaging things that can happen to a franchise is losing a star player for no return. And um, the Lakers have to be, and I'm not saying I'm not calling Miles Turner a star, but if this is going to be their big move, they have to be certain that he's going to stay with this team, and they have to be certain that he is worth whatever he is going to command on that next contract. So there's other hurdles beyond just should Miles Turner be on this team? Should Buddy Heal be on this team? Are these guys worthwhile trade targets? Um, the flip side, of course, is 
how much better does it make the Lakers? And this is what the Lakers have to consider with Russ playing the way he has, which is, I think, very fair to say he's playing better than last year. He's not a net negative on the floor anymore. So with Russ being a, I think, a positive on the floor now, Miles Turner and Buddy Heald are, I think, are better fits than Russ. I think you make your team better if you have those guys on your roster instead of Russell Westbrook. But Russ does bring things that help your team. So how much better do you really get? How much better do you get? You're not going from zero up to, from a net neutral or a net negative up to whatever it is that you want to say Miles Turner and Buddy Heald would bring. You're going from the positive to another positive. So how big is that difference really? That's something the Lakers have to consider. And also say with Russ's better play, that puts the Lakers in a more interesting bargaining position because I think there's going to be other teams that look at Russ playing well off the bench and they say, hey, maybe we can get Russ to play well off our bench too. So I think this, the list of suitors is going to grow now that Russ is playing better. I'm not saying it's easy to make a deal for him. It's not. $47 million contract, that's still not easy to move. And most teams are still going to want capital from the Lakers. But I think the dynamic has shifted a lot from before the season started. And so I don't know which way this goes between the Lakers and Pacers because Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are probably playing a little bit better, certainly Miles Turner, than we expected them to this season. And so in theory, that should only increase their value. But so has Russell Westbrook, which if the Pacers still don't see Russ as someone they want to put on the floor, then Russ's improved value to the Lakers may not mean increased value to the Pacers, which means the Pacers may still want two future firsts from the Lakers. And if you're the Lakers, you're saying, why am I giving up two future firsts if the improvement is only marginal? So this dynamic between the Lakers and the Pacers is going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch. And I think we're going to have to keep an eye on what else goes on. Do the Lakers and pay, do the Lakers just say, you know what? Okay. You guys don't value Russ. He's not a problem for us anymore. He's good. We like him off the bench. So let's talk Pat Bev. Let's talk Kendrick Nunn putting those guys together. And let's talk about just Miles. Let's talk about just Buddy. Maybe you go that route. Uh, JR, thoughts on trading Russ and Lonnie takes on the six-man role. Well, I just talked about trading Russ, but Lonnie taking on a six-man role, sure, he can definitely do it. He can be that scorer off the bench for you. I like what we've seen out of Lonnie Walker. He's proving a lot of us wrong. He's been, been great, been absolutely fantastic for the Lakers. He's been a, a consistent scoring option. He might be playing his way out of L.A., for next season because he's going to make a lot more of whatever his next deal is. But bottom line, Lonnie on his six-man role, sure, I don't have a problem with that. My only concern would be, I think you do need another point guard in there, um, and maybe it's Dennis Schroeder, but Russ does so much shot creation, and Lonnie doesn't necessarily do that. He's a better passer, I think, than he gets credit for, but he's not going to create opportunities for other people the way Russell Westbrook does. So I just want to be careful that there's enough shot creation on that second unit if Lonnie becomes kind of your super sixth man. Um, but if you're able to make a, a rush trade and you get, let's say you do get Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, you could, in theory, shift Lonnie to that six-man role, keep Austin in the starting lineup, keep Troy Brown in the starting lineup along with Buddy, and then and then off you go, right? That's, that's what you could do. Um, well, I guess you'd have to remove one of Troy Brown or Austin as well because Miles Turner and Buddy would both start if you were to do both players. But in any event, in any event, sure, you you could do that. You could do that. Now, again, I don't know if Lonnie wants to do that. He's got free agency coming up next summer. And 
free agents tend to get paid more when they're seen as starters. And so I don't think Lonnie would be super thrilled about a demotion right now, essentially, even if his role and his numbers, his impact would still be the same. But that would be a case-by-case basis. We'd have to see kind of what his response would be there. Ace of hearts, my reaction to the Natalia Bryant situation. So for those of you guys who didn't see a couple of days ago, um, TMZ reported essentially that someone was, was stalking her. Um, my reaction as somebody who has a daughter, I'm horrified. It's it's awful. Uh, and I, I hope the, the authorities are able to intervene. I hope that it's not as bad as it looks when there's the discussion about the person and their access to weapons and, and things like that. I think you have to be very careful with the, these types of situations. And it's, um, again, I don't know ex- the, all I know is what I read on TMZ. So I can't say like, you know, I've got inside knowledge here or anything like that. Cause I don't. Um, but based on what we know right now, it's horrifying and disgusting. And I, I hope that, um, I hope that the, the authorities are able to resolve this before anything else, before anything happens. And that, and I hope that the, the Bryants are taking every precaution necessary to not mess around with a situation like this. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Uh, the gift said LeBron, AD, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, Thomas Bryant. Why not? So pulling Troy Brown out of the starting lineup and putting in Thomas Bryant, as well as pulling Patrick Beverly when LeBron returns. So that's a very new starting lineup. Uh, Thomas Bryant, I thought was good. I thought Thomas Bryant deserved deserved more minutes uh, against the Suns. He provided a real scoring burst out of the floor. Darvin liked the matchup, though, between Aiden and AD, and AD was going nuts. And so I understand wanting to stick with that. But long-term, I I think that's been my one disappointment so far with Thomas Bryant coming back, is that we haven't gotten to see enough of AD at the four. Because that's really, right now, that is the only lineup where AD is going to be the four, right? Like if Wendy Gabriel is on the floor with AD, AD is still really going to be the five. He's bigger than, than Wendy Gabriel by a significant amount. So Anthony Davis wants to play the four, and I think there's some merit to having him play there, but the only way that he's going to really be the four is if he's sharing the court with Thomas Bryant. I don't know if you go as far as starting TB. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. He looked really good. But he also provides so much energy off the bench. And I do like, if Russ is coming off the bench, I like handcuffing Russ's minutes with Thomas Bryant's minutes. If Russ is probably going to play more minutes overall. But 
Thomas Bryant, one of the things that he does really well for a big is he runs the floor. He's, he's quicker than a lot of bigs are. And I wonder if some of that is wasted in the starting lineup because Russ is maybe on this team uniquely capable of taking advantage of the speed that Thomas Bryant can bring. Russ can grab and go on a rebound and Thomas Bryant can run step for step with Russell Westbrook and create scoring opportunities. We saw that the other night against San Antonio Spurs. So beyond just AD is more comfortable playing at the four. I do wonder if you're losing by losing the Russ and Thomas Bryant minutes by sacrificing some of those in order to put them into the starting five. I wonder if that's a overall negative for the Lakers, even if we can say there is reason to put TB on the floor with AD and let AD be the four. Uh, Again, I think we need to see more minutes of that, but I'm wary of separating Russ and Thomas Bryant because I think there's something there. And I think in particular, the trio of Russ, Wanyan Gabriel and Thomas Bryant is interesting just in terms of blitzing teams with pure energy. Now, they got scored on a lot against the Suns the other night. And so I think you have to be careful who the other two players are on the floor uh, with that group. But that's the kind of group that can come onto the floor and hit a team fast before they realize what's going on. Like they're going, the energy level is going to shoot up with any of those three guys individually on the court. You put them on together. And I think there is a, a compounding effect where you can really shift the, the, energy level and the momentum of a game with guys like that. And I think that's kind of what you want out of your bench unit. So uh, again, I'm not fully sold on this idea, but I will agree that I want to see more of Anthony Davis and Thomas Bryant sharing the floor together. Send by NFT. I need the cloud of a trade over the team to disappear. It can't be easy for Russ, Beverly, none knowing you could be traded any minute dampers the team mood. So that's a thing uh, around the NBA. Trade talks do affect players because they're human beings, right? Um, if you're, if you were suddenly told, "Hey, pack up all your stuff. We're sending you across the country to another city, and your family is all settled now." This means you're going to be spending time apart. Now, look, I get it. This is the gig that NBA players sign up for. They're rewarded handsomely for it. But that's still not easy. To hey, now you're not going to be near you. You were near your family. Now you're not right? Or you really loved living in this place. Now you're not. Now you're working somewhere, someplace else. You're playing somewhere else. You're, you've got different teammates. You've got a different environment. That's stressful. That's stressful to know that at any moment, your entire life could be uprooted. Any moment. There's stress to that. That said, Russ and Bev, they know. They know this game. They've been around it long enough. They know how this game works. I don't think it's going to affect them as much. None. This is his, what third season that what fourth season in the league, but third season that he's been an active player in the league. <clears throat> and so maybe it could affect him a little bit more, but this is also just par for the course of being a Laker. This is just, this is just kind of the way it goes, right? I mean, the Lakers are always, always mentioned in trade rumors and, and everything you guys know from watching this, this channel and listening to this podcast. Um, it's just the way it goes with the with the Lakers. It's, it's the nature of the beast. Even if the Lakers aren't that active, their name is going to be brought up all the time because it's the Lakers. And we know agents do this sometimes. They throw out the Lakers' name in order to generate interest. Um, there's always going to be talk about the Lakers. There's always going to be rumors. And so even if 
It's, well, just make a trade so that then this cloud disappears. I don't think it's going to, right? Like even if, let's say you trade Russ tomorrow, okay? Then the talk would shift to, are the Lakers going to make another move by the trade deadline? Are they going to sign somebody? What are they going to do in free agency? Are they going to do this or that? It's always going to be there to a degree. And so, well, I agree that it might be a little bit um, too much at times. Maybe it's a little bit overdone. The bottom line is that this just kind of comes with being a Laker and you have to have some kind of acceptance of that. Samir, Lakers should do a trade, especially with being only four games behind in the loss column for the first seed. Samir hit the nail on the head. That's my thought exactly. The Western Conference, it is so compact. It's early enough where if you can get something done that you think will significantly improve your team, it's early enough to fight back, to claw your way back from the hole that you've dug yourself here. If you wait too long, though, you might get past that point where you're past the point of return and you no longer have the opportunity to do that, to claw your way back. Because you look at the West. Look at the West right now. There are three teams that are not trying to win. San Antonio, OKC, Houston. Everybody else is talented enough to say, we are a, at worst, play-in team. Every other team in the Western Conference is good enough to be that. Hell, look at Sacramento right now. They're charging up the standings. So with that being the case, you know, in the West, two teams that are trying to win, that are doing what they can to put together a winning record, are not even going to make the play-in. That's the reality of the Western Conference. Two teams that are probably good enough to at the very least be a play-in team are not going to be. With that kind of a dogfight, it creates opportunity in that things can stay very tightly compact and that a win streak, any win streak, can really significantly shift you up or, or, or a losing streak can shift you down. So there's opportunity there to make up ground very quickly, but you also have to find some separation. You've got to do something in order to put yourself in a spot to do that. Because if you, if you keep the status quo as is, the Lakers probably find themselves on the outside looking in. But I do agree that it's not too late. It's not too late if they can find the right move. Eddie, how much salary cap space do Lakers have if they don't re-sign Russ? He's making $47 million. Does that mean they have $47 million to play with? No, it doesn't because they are so far over the cap. They're, they're over the cap. Uh, it's not like they're right at the line. And so you lose that $47 million and suddenly you get $47 million to use. They're over the cap by significantly more than that. And so losing Russ is $47 million, having that come off the books, having all the one-year deals come off the books, it is going to land them probably somewhere in the $25, 30000000 million range, depending on what they do with Austin Reeves, depending on what they do with Max Christie, uh, where their draft pick falls. Again, they'll either have their pick or the Pelicans pick, depending on what happens there. Um, all those kind of variables have to be factored in. But somewhere in the 25 to $30 million range is probably what we're talking about in terms of cap space. Again, though, if you can use some of that cap space to make a trade right now and absorb future salaries, um, so you could do that. You could go trade for, say, Buddy Heald, who has a contract next year for about $20 million. So instead of $30 million, now you've got $10 million, right? Again, depending on your draft pick and, and that whole situation. But then you also have to remember that let's say you go, let's say you trade for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And so you add $20 million on your books for next year in Heald. And Miles Turner gets an extension and he's now $25 million. 
okay, well, now you don't have any more cap space. How do you keep Lonnie? You'd have to use your mid-level exception, in theory, to keep Lonnie Walker. But then you can't go spend in free agency. Can't go after anybody. And you're over the cap now, so it's not like you have cap space to spend. Um, same is true the other way, though. Let's say you don't trade Russ. You don't do anything right now. You keep your cap space. How do you keep Lonnie? You're going to have to use some of your cap space to do it. So that $30 million isn't really $30 million if you decide you want to keep Lonnie. Let's say Lonnie costs $11 million a season now. Okay. Now you're now instead of 30 million, now you're down to 19. And that's what you have to go spend on the market. You want to keep Troy? Okay. Now you've got a little bit less to go spend. And next thing you know, you've spent, but your team hasn't changed that much. You pretty much have the same teams this year, but your free agent money is now gone. So that's the challenge for the Lakers. They have the decision making there they have right now is not just what do we do this season? What trades do we make right now? It's also what is the opportunity cost for this summer? What is the opportunity cost for the free agent market, depending on what we do right now? So a lot to factor in there. Wyatt said, you have to admit AD's performance against Aiton was incredible. He hasn't faced that caliber of big in games. He's gone off the season until tonight. Again, could not agree more. Yeah, AD was, was absolutely tremendous. And I agree 100% that he hasn't faced somebody of this caliber. That was a test to see, is this real? And this is much getting us much closer to checking that box that, yes, this is real. This was not just AD being great against teams who were missing their starting centers and were frankly bad anyway. This was AD against a top-tier team, against a top-tier center, and he still absolutely dominated. I mean, dominated this game. Look, when we look at DeAndre Ayton and you look at AD and people were talking about trade AD for Ayton, DeAndre Ayton's never going to be able to do what, what AD did in that game. And look, AD, you've got injury issues, you've got all these other things to consider, and that's fair, but Ayton's never going to be what AD did. That's a different level, a completely different level. Mo Love said, Russ and a first for Rozier and Gordon Hayward. None, Beverly, and a first for Turner. You know, that's not a bad idea. You're getting a wing. You're getting a guard. You're getting, and again, I don't know if one first gets it done with the Hornets or not. Maybe it does. Um, you're taking on future salary, obviously, and you got to know what Turner's going to cost next year. But yeah, next thing you know, you've, you've picked up everything, right? You've got three-point shooting. You've got a, a, a guard coming in to replace Russ. Uh, you've got a big coming in to play alongside Anthony Davis and in miles Turner. And like, you're giving up both of your future first, but I think that this, that would, that would give this team a real significant boost in talent. Uh, Eddie, if AD keeps playing this great, you think the Lakers could get a Gobert type hall. It's an option. Um, I would want more. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, four games now that we've seen AD do this. But if this simply is, and I don't want to go this far just yet, because again, four games is still a small sample size, but if this is just what AD is right now, uh, AD is playing at a level that Rudy Gobert has never touched. Now, there were some very particular factors in the Wolves giving up what they gave up for, for Rudy Gobert. They felt like they're a team that's never going to get free agents. 
They're a team that has to trade for stars. And there was an opportunity to go get someone. They felt like they had a problem in the middle. They felt like they didn't want Towns to have to play center for them. And so the Wolves were uniquely in a spot where they could talk themselves into grossly overpaying for Rudy Gobert, which I think most in the league felt they overpaid by a significant amount to get Gobert. So could they get a Gobert type haul? Um, yes, but if you're the Lakers and you see what what Utah got for Gobert, I would want more. Now, I don't think a Gobert type haul in terms of picks and players and all that is unfair for Anthony Davis. It's not. The issue is the Wolves paid an Anthony Davis level package for Rudy Gobert, who's not Anthony Davis, not this version. Again, Rudy Gobert has never done what this version of Anthony, Anthony Davis is doing right now. So if I'm the Lakers, first of all, if I'm the Lakers, I'm just, let's face it, I'm not, I'm not trading Anthony Davis, right? And I don't think, as much as there was chatter out there, I don't think the Lakers are whatever seriously considered doing it unless AD requested a trade. But yeah, if this is, if this is who AD is and he does this for the rest of the year and he goes to the Lakers this summer and says, trade me, I would expect to get everything from somebody everything i i would expect a trade somewhere in the stratosphere of what the lakers gave up in order to get ad because he has been monstrous it's been amazing to watch chase carmelo shot about 40 percent from three last year he's been blackballed hashtag blackball uh yeah look carmelo anthony can still shoot the ball and you can say well shouldn't carmelo anthony have the spot that matt ryan has the Lakers opted to go with Matt Ryan thinking he could provide the shooting there, but it's fair. Look, for a team that needs shooting, Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony is going to be able to shoot the ball when he's 55. Um, he's not going to be able to do a lot defensively, but then again, neither does Matt Ryan. So you can argue either way there, but I, I think it's a fair point that Carmelo Anthony could be helping some team in the NBA right now. I don't think he should not be on an NBA roster right now. Wyatt said this just in, AD is the first player to record 35-plus points, 20-plus rebounds, 5-plus blocks, and 5 steals in a game. I mean, if that's accurate, that just underscores how amazing AD's performance is. The 5 steals, there's not many bigs who can do that, who can play passing lanes the way AD can while still being a crazy shot blocker. It's that guard quickness that he's got that allows him to do those kinds of things. He's just, this is why people were so frustrated with AD over the past couple of years, because you knew that this was in there, that when he's at his best, this is what it looks like essentially. And this isn't even quite the bubble version of AD who is really good shooting jumpers. He's not quite doing all those free throw shooting has been phenomenal the past few games, um, but he's such a dominant force when he's on that when you don't get that, it's frustrating because you know, you know how damn good he really is and really can be. Uh, respect the game. Said Wenyon has the shortest leash I've ever seen. Airballed one shot and was yanked from the game. We didn't even see what he could bring to the game. Yeah, I, look, I, I agree. I think Wenyon has been objectively good for the Lakers. I think his energy has been good. Um I think that his versatility on the defensive end of the floor is good. He's so limited offensively, but he can still do some some good things for you out there. So I agree. I think Wenyon should 
continue to be part of the rotation and get and get those minutes. I would prefer to see Wenyan out there than a four guard and one big lineup. I would prefer to remove one of those guards and put Wenyan on the floor, even if he doesn't provide any three-point shooting for you. I'd like to see him on the court more often. Avi B, bench Russ. The honeymoon's over. Let's snap out of it. Oh, I'm not going that far. Again, I don't I don't look at the, the Phoenix game as a game that was lost because of Russell Westbrook. Um, I think, again, he's been a positive for the Lakers off the bench. And, uh, and I don't have any reason to believe he won't continue to be a positive for the Lakers off the bench. And that doesn't mean you don't explore trades. That doesn't mean you don't consider all your options. You certainly do. And maybe some things open up now that wouldn't have otherwise. But I'm not benching Russell Westbrook based on what he's done against the Suns. Uh, last one. How do you feel about Miles Bridges as a target? Uh, not great. Not great. Don't feel great about Miles Bridges as a target. Um, just given what's hanging over him and given what's going on there, I don't want to bring that to my team. Um, so not great about that. But I'll also say I don't think that Miles Bridges is a target. So there was the report that the Lakers were keeping an eye on the Miles Bridges situation. I think that's because of other players on the Hornets. That's what they're looking at because Miles Bridges is a restricted free agent. I've talked about this before, but um, in order for the Lakers to get Miles Bridges, you need two things to happen. Three things, really. So you need, number one, you need the Lakers to be okay with his situation. You need the Lakers to overcome that kind of ethical, you know, moral dilemma. Do I want to bring this to my team? Um, so you have to overcome that. Number two, because he is a restricted free agent, you would need the Hornets because the Lakers can't do a sign and trade. They can't. They're already over where the hard cap would be. So they cannot take back a player in a sign and trade. They also don't have cap space. So you would need the Hornets to say, you know what? Even though he's a restricted free agent, we're done. We're walking away from Miles Turner and we're making him a free agent. So you would need that to happen too. And I don't think the Hornets want to do that. Um, and then three, you would need Miles Bridges to say, I will sign somewhere for the veteran minimum and I will sign to the Lakers. I want that place to be the Lakers. Now you can say clutch sports and maybe there's some connections there and all that certainly. But I just think that's a lot of things that you have to overcome to wind up with Miles Bridges in LA. Again, you can't sign and trade for him. So the only way, and you don't have cap space, so the only way is for him to be a free agent that will accept a veteran minimum deal. And to get there, you first have to cross that hurdle of, do the Lakers want to bring him in, knowing what that's going to bring with it in terms of the, the media and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then second, the Hornets have to decide, you know what, despite the fact that we spent all season so far and the summer with him as a restricted free agent, we are going to change our minds on that and reverse course and completely relinquish our rights to this player. It just doesn't seem likely. It doesn't seem likely. So as much as I wouldn't be thrilled with them pursuing Miles Bridges, um, I don't think it's going to happen. I think the Lakers are monitoring the situation because if the Hornets decide to bring Bridges back in, does that then make Gordon Hayward a, a piece they're more eager to move or, or, or Terry Rozier? What, what is the domino effect on the Hornets roster? I think that's what the Lakers are actually monitoring. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for today. Appreciate you all for joining me here 
Thank you guys for coming in to the LakersNation.com podcast. Leave us that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Great way to help out the show. Once again, a very happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I hope you all have a great one. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe.